Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to see you here tonight. We are happy and honored that you could join us here on Wednesday night for our midweek Bible study. want to just take a moment uh, to give you some announcements. Those of you joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, welcome. We're glad you're with us tonight. Uh, just a couple of announcements tonight. First of all, we want to remind you that Sunday, September 13th, will be a baby dedication Sunday. So hopefully you know if you have one of those and one that you would like to have dedicated. So if you do, please get that information into the church office very quickly. Also, a uh, special announcement, very happy about this, Sunday, uh, September 13th, also Sister Tenny will be with us in service. So really looking forward to that, encourage you to be here and uh, invite somebody to come with you. And as always, you can stay tuned with everything going on here at Grace Church via the church app or by clicking on that events tab on our website. Um, I was reminded of something yesterday that absolutely captures my attention. I wanted to take just a moment to share that with you. I, I should say it captures my imagination. Those of you that have known me for any length of time at all know that I'm a bit of a uh, space nerd. And there are things out there in creation that absolutely capture my imagination. And there are these objects in space that we have discovered called neutron stars. Whenever a star like our sun, but maybe three to four times the size and the mass, dies and explodes in this massive explosion called a supernova, it leaves behind a, a kind of a stellar corpse called a neutron star, and it is made up completely of neutrons. The electrons of the atoms collapse into the, the nucleus, and uh, it's super dense so that maybe a thimbleful would weigh a billion tons. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. But in some cases, if there's any type of rotation or angular momentum to these objects at all, think about a, an ice skater who is uh, spinning and then draws her arms in. She begins to spin faster. And so if there's any type of rotation to these objects at all, whenever that collapse happens, they will spin incredibly fast, sometimes hundreds of times a second, sometimes thousands of times a second. And you're talking about an object that's probably 10 to 12 kilometers across. And sometimes there will be these magnetic poles pointed just right at planet Earth so that every time it rotates, a, a, pulse, uh, a pulse of energy, a burst of X-rays flashes by the Earth. Think of it like a lighthouse and that light spinning. And what you hear, and you can go on YouTube. I challenge you, check it out. Go on YouTube. Just look up pulsar sounds. And what you'll hear is... is these, these massive objects making these noises. As the poles rotate facing the earth, and sometimes they rotate really fast, so you hear. And sometimes they rotate so fast, it, it, it sounds almost like a scream, like a just a constant wah. That's amazing to me. And the scripture says that the heavens declare the glory of God and that the skies, the firmament, if you're going to be in King James, 
shows forth his handiwork. And so there are these objects out there just saying over and over and over again, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of times a second, he's great, he's great, he's really great, he's glorious, he's really glorious, he's big, he's really, he's really, really big, over and over and over again. That's amazing. And to think all of that happened just by the, just by the force and the audacity of God's will and word whenever he said, let there be light. That's so amazing. And as amazing as that is, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I know it's Wednesday night and this is like the pre-lesson sermon, but I want you to hear me. As amazing as those things are, Jesus did not die for a neutron star or a pulsar. Jesus left the splendors of heaven, robed himself in flesh, and died on a cross for you. That's amazing. That's amazing. What an incredible God. And I stand in awe of his love for me that he would think that I'm just that special. Amen. God bless you tonight as pastor comes. Thank you, Brother Jason, and uh, it's great to see you here tonight. Thank you so very much for coming, and I never tire of hearing factual evidence about things such as Brother Jason just mentioned, because all it does is make God that much bigger to me. It makes him bigger in my head, it makes him bigger in my spirit, my attitude, but if God can create all of that, I don't have a trouble in this world that he can't handle with just nothing more than a thought. And I'm very inspired by that, uh, very much so. Again, it's great to see all of you, and thank you so very much for being here for Wednesday night Bible study. I appreciate seeing all of you. And um, I want to jump right into the Word of God tonight. Um, <clears throat> And I want to come to you tonight from an angle of accolade and appreciation and thankfulness for you. Um, I'm thankful for the Lord. I'm, I'm, you all know that. I'm thankful for the Word of God. You all know that. But I'm thankful for Grace Church tonight. I think you're amazing people. And uh, just think sometimes how deeply honored I've been for the past 26, 27 years to be your pastor, or at least to pastor this church. So I want to applaud you tonight. Uh, I want to teach on commitment. Um, and our church is one of the most committed churches that I know. But I have found that prevention is a whole lot better than cure. But I want to stress tonight as I go through this material, it's coming from the point of view of appreciation and thankfulness. And uh, I have a pretty good understanding of all the stuff that's going on around us and <clears throat> our country and our world. But Grace Church has stayed steady. Uh, even though services we've not had, been able to meet here on campus, um, you folks have stayed steady. And I appreciate 
you and your faithfulness more than you can imagine. I want to read tonight, and if you have your literal Bible, uh, if you want to turn with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 41, uh, I want to read to you probably one of the sweetest scriptures, but one of the most compelling in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. I can hear pages turning. And that is such a cool sound. That's just a real neat sound to hear the pages of a Bible turning rather than the pecking on a smartphone or an iPad. And uh, that's awesome. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. But there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance. But she of her want or lack did cast in all that she had, even all her living. The Weymouth translation says, verse 44, this way, but she out of her need has thrown in all she possessed, all she had to live on. She gave everything she had. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight about giving everything. This story told in Mark 12 is also repeated in Luke 21. And it gives a lot of insight as how Jesus really looks at giving. And I suppose that when you hear a text read like this one, that the mind of the hearer immediately surmises that this message has to do with money. What Jesus was attempting to convey in this passage goes much further than the giving of finances. It deals not only with money, but it reaches further into the concepts of what we do with our time and our talent. Jesus never spent even a word on gifts that the wealthy gave that particular day. He never commented about the person who gave the most. He sensed the hypocrisy in their giving and they gained their reward when all of the, those in attendance saw the gift that was being given. Their giving was entirely to be seen by the people. That was the, the big givers, if you will. They were elaborate. I'll talk about that in just a second. But their giving was entirely to be, to be seen by the people. God is far more interested in seeing what we give in private than what we choose to give in public. Notice the screen and listen very carefully. Get your head around this statement. That is why the public anointing can never rise any higher than private devotion. Committed people don't do anything in public for accolade, but they get their inspiration and their anointing from what they do for God in private. 
So this account that Mark and Luke write of comes in the last week of the life of Jesus prior to crucifixion. Women from all over the nation would gather into the temple during this particular time and give their offerings. Along the walls of the court were these huge trumpet-shaped containers that people would place their gifts in. So if you could imagine just along one of these walls, there's these giant brass uh, trumpet-shaped containers and their money back then, most of it was metal of some sort. So when you threw it in, it made all kinds of noise. So the end of the, the idea was the more noise it made, the more you gave. And that's why the hypocrite, if you would, to put it in our terminology, would bring a five-gallon water container full of pennies and dump it in there to make it look like he was just giving a whole lot of money. Jesus knew the heart. It wasn't what was being put in that container that was important to him. He knew the heart, the attitude, the inspiration, and the drive behind it. So the rich and powerful would often make much fanfare with their giving. The containers were made of thin metal, and when coins were dropped into the box, much sound would be generated. And so, again, the bigger the gift, the greater the noise. The scribes who had devoured the widow's houses would make much of their giving, but suddenly the widow appears on the scene and her intent has a much more noble purpose. Her gift is much smaller in totality, totality, but her purpose is huge. The smallness of her gift is swallowed up by the value of the offering. The smallness of her gift is swallowed up by the value of the offering she was given. The scribes were rich and selfish, but the little widow woman was poor, but very sacrificial. The eyes of the Lord are literally riveted on this lonely, solitary widow who has come to give In the temple, she was very poor and she comes alone. Perhaps she came alone because she was embarrassed to mingle with the crowd of those who had gifts to give that was much larger in quantity than hers. Her condition and her clothing betrayed her on that day. She wore the uniform of a mourner and the Lord's eyes watched her very closely and then read her very clearly. In her hands was the smallest amount of coins. One commentary said, in her hand was the smallest amount of coins and that actually the law of Moses stated that her gift was not even enough to be acceptable. It was just a farthing. In our monetary system here in the United States, it was worth less than a dime. She didn't even bring 10 cents. But in reality, it's all that she had. She didn't have any more than that. It was a very humble gift, but it was all that she had. But that small gift propelled her far beyond in the realm of sacrifice than anything 
that all of those around her were giving on that particular day. The widow gave everything that she possessed. The phrase from Wyman's translation again says it like this. She, she out of her need has thrown in all she possessed. All that she had to live on is what she gave. She literally threw her life away with this offering. She had nothing for the rest of the day. She had nothing for the following week. She would only have her faith. She would only walk away with her faith. There was no money under the mattress. There was no money hidden in a kitchen canister. She brought everything she had and she gave it that day. And the only thing she left with was her faith. And she was counting on that from that point forward. There's some very powerful lessons on commitment that come from this particular text. It is commitment, not talent or resources that will place you among God's greatest. I remember a number of years ago before Sister Murph and I entered into ministry, we had a... Um, Brother Young every year would host a foreign missions conference. He did this for a number of years and also a home missions conference. And we attended everything we could attend. Knowing we were going into ministry, we just wanted to get everything we could. So at that time, of course, I worked a secular job. We could only go at night. But I remember on Sunday night, this was going on, uh, I believe, Thursday night, Friday night, all day Saturday, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And Sunday night was the big cap of it all, the big climax of it all, and that's when they wanted to pick up on this particular occasion a foreign missions offering, and a certain goal was set. They had a, back in those days, they literally had a chalkboard, a big old giant chalkboard, and somebody would write in big numbers as offering would come in. Sister Murphy and I were actually sitting next to each other in the choir loft. The choir had sung and couldn't go sit down. The building was full. There was no chairs, and so we were sitting there and tears, we were both just shedding tears down our face. And at that time, uh, the, the state of Louisiana, the South, was in an all glut. The, the, the economic oppression of those days was unbelievable. Uh, it was around the time that you could go to a gas station and only, they'd only give you $5 worth of gas. That's all you could get. Uh, prices soared. Um, I had lost my, a, a nice paying job, took a substantial monthly cut and pay, but we wanted to give something. The conviction, the compelling atmosphere of that environment, we didn't feel guilty, we didn't feel pressured, we wanted to do it. And I learned a lesson from that experience that night that I've never, ever forgotten. You know, if you have several thousand dollars in the bank and you pledge a hundred dollars, it ain't gonna hit that bad. But why don't you pledge $500 more than you have in the bank and give all of it? That's kind of the level that we were on that night. We didn't have any money in the bank. As a matter of fact, we were trying to figure out how we was going to make it to my next paycheck. But we looked at each other with tear-stained eyes and we committed $100. Nowadays, that's probably not a lot of money, but back then, it was a fourth of our house payment. 
It was almost half of a car payment. It was a utility bill. It represented a lot of things in our budget. And we wrote out a check that night and gave it in faith. I'm not going to go through all the long story. But within the next two weeks, $250 came into our house. It was not unexpected, not uh, totally unexpected, unplanned for, and so on. The level of commitment that God strives to have out of his people is when you literally give it all away. And not just money. But, but time and, and talent, God honors commitment. And, and the most taken care of people I know on this planet are good, just solid Christian people who make sure the kingdom of God is taken care of in every way. They're the most taken care of people on this planet. God takes care of them financially. There's a blessing in their home. There's a blessing in their marriage. There's a blessing that just hovers over them. It's like that pillar of cloud in the Old Testament. It just goes with them everywhere they go. There's just that cloud of blessing. And I've noticed another contrast through the years of of pastoring is when you have those that cut corners and and never have time and and that kind of stuff. It seems like those people are the ones that either I counsel with the most or they're the the, the therapist the most or the the other counselor the most. And there's always conflict and what have you. There's this little lady illustrated This little lady illustrated the value of commitment. So let me begin tonight with that little introduction, and I'm I'm not going to be very long, uh, I don't think. I'm not planning to. But commitment, first of all, elevates value. Commitment elevates value. It does on every level of life. If you're committed to your marriage, it's going to make your marriage more valuable. If you're committed to God, it's going to make him more valuable. If you're committed to your job, it'll make it more valuable. If, you'll make, if you commit to the things you own, it makes it more valuable. Commitment elevates the value of the gift. What was only a farthing, what was only less than a dime, became so much more because of the commitment necessary to give it. That's what gave it value. The Lord clearly stated that she cast in more than everybody else. Because it took everything she had to do it. If there is a, notice the screen and listen to pastor. If there is a sacrifice in the giver, there will always be power in the gift that's given. Often what may seem so small and inconsequential are the small hinges that are fastened to huge doors that open up to fresh power and anointing. This is all that God is asking for you to do. Just put your life and your efforts into his hands. For the large part of our pastoral ministry, Sister Murphy and I, this church and our, uh, the previous church we started in Youngstown, we weren't loaded up with 10, 12 millionaires in the church and we'd just snap our finger and we had money to do whatever we wanted. We've had people through the years it may not have that big, big, fat dollar to put in. They give what they can. They commit themselves to tithe. They commit themselves to time. And they give their talent. And God has blessed this church more than we can even imagine. Our campus is paid for in an unusual short amount of time because there's a bunch of people 
to give what they can every single time they come to the church. The second thing about commitment, not only does it elevate value, but it comes from your life. Commitment comes from who you are. Commitment comes from character. It comes from desire. It comes from motivation. Commitment doesn't always come from your abundance. But even sometimes commitment comes from your lack of abundance as it did for Sister Murphy and I years ago. This poor widow gave out of her want. She gave from her lack. Very few really ever grasp the concept of giving out of their want. May I have you notice tonight that true revival among the church and in the church comes with giving in to some things, such as prayer and fasting and hunger and the call to holiness. It's giving in to it, not fighting it, not resisting it, not looking for a shortcut, but giving in to it. But true revival also comes with giving out of some things, which is sacrifice and desire and change and worship and faithfulness and what have you. With every gift given that costs something, with every gift given that costs something, there will always be a trace of fear that accompanies the gift. But the trace of fear has to be overwhelmed with a consuming faith in God and his purpose for life. Can anybody imagine tonight what it felt like to be Abraham when God asked him to offer up his son? I'm not so sure I'd have just threw my hands up and said, yeah, sure, God, whatever you want. I think we'd had a conversation about it, probably two or three, probably a bunch. And you know, if I could see a sign in the sky and hear about three or four affirmations from people, I might consider it. But from all, all that the scripture tells us is when God asked Abraham to do it, he said, sure. Imagine Moses confronting Pharaoh. Imagine David facing his giants. There were at least two. Goliath and Ishbi Benab. Imagine the widow of Zarephath releasing the last bit of oil and meal for the sake of a stranger. Imagine Peter, James, and John deserting their nets, quitting their jobs to become a disciple of Jesus. Imagine the young boy giving up his lunch to feed the multitude. If, if the only giving that we ever really submit to is that of our abundance, then we never really yield to sacrifice. So we have to understand tonight that commitment comes from your life. It comes from your heart. It comes from who you are. The third thing about commitment is that it demands that we travel light. Commitment don't spare you a lot of room for luggage. The widow gave basically everything that she had and there was no excess baggage allowed along the way. The Lord often looks not at what is given but rather what is kept back. We cannot afford to hoard our lives in an act of self-preservation. Remember several years ago, Sister Murphy and I drove to, or we flew to General Conference, wherever it was at, Louisville, wherever it was at that year, and rented a car. And when we got to the hotel to check in, we arrived along with a minister friend and his life. And Sister Murphy and I have always traveled decently light, all things considered. We just don't, just think it's a lot of nonsense to just bring a lot of stuff. We, we just don't need it. Traveling on a motorcycle teaches you how to do that. <laughs> You have to pack very light. 
and you want to find a place that has a washer and dryer. But I remember we were just talking with this uh, minister friend and his wife, and their car wasn't that big as I remember, but Buddy's stuff just kept coming out of it. I mean, one suitcase right after another, after another. And I finally just joked, and I knew him well enough, said, man, are y'all moving here? Or? He said, he said, Brother Murphy, he said, I've just given up in our marriage. I have come to understand when we travel, my wife is going to bring everything in her closet. And he was right. I think the only thing he allowed to bring that was kind of big and extra was just a little old fan to sit by their bed to blow at night so he could sleep better. But I thought, dear me, man, that was Sister Murphy. <laughs> Just have a chat about that, buddy. If you're going to bring all that stuff, you can carry it. I ain't carrying it. Kind of my attitude about that. Now, I carry her stuff. I do. If she needs me to. But, I mean, there's a limit. I mean, we'll, we'll hire a mover to, uh, you know, move this stuff up here for you or whatever. <laughs> uh, she'll ask me maybe who that was after church if she don't remember. I believe she probably does. But too often in this life, we attempt to take far too much stuff with us on our Christian journey. Consider the advice that Jesus gave to his disciples earlier in Mark 6 when he commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money. We did that one time. We went on a little vacation somewhere, and I looked over at Sister Murph, and we had bought something somewhere. I said, do you have any cash? She said, and I forgot to go by the bank. Thank God for plastic. It came in handy for that moment. But he said, but be shod with sandals, but not put on two coats. He said unto them, in what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. This, that, that list of instructions from Jesus highlights the very anxious relationship that most of us have with our possessions Instead of possessing the possession, far too often the possessions literally possess us. There will always be a cost involved in serving God. The principles of his kingdom are so backwards of the grasp and pulled to the lower kingdom in this earth. I, I'm fearful that too much blessing down here is not always spiritually healthy for us. And maybe that's sometimes why we don't get everything we ask for. Far too many along the way avoid the cost. Moses saw many who made it out of Egypt die in the wilderness because they could not pick up on the cost of driving the giants out of their promised land. I preached about that a couple of Sundays ago and I hope it resonated in your mind. I want my promise from God, but I have to be willing to drive out whatever's in it that's an obstacle for me. I didn't get a lot of amens on that, but I still believe it's true. <clears throat> Jesus watched many turn away from him when the supply of the loaves and the fish had been exhausted. As a matter of fact, he fed one large group of people, and they came back the next day wanting him to do it again. You remember that story? And he started talking about being crucified and, and, and shedding his blood and all that stuff, and they all walked away, and he looked at the disciples and said, what are you going to do? Fortunately, Peter said, we're going to hang with you. King Herod died in his sins because he enjoyed hearing John the Baptist, but he never embraced what he enjoyed. I 
I didn't come to preach tonight, but that preached for about five minutes right there. We enjoy church and we enjoy the concept of God and God's promise and all that, but are we willing to embrace it? Do whatever it takes to embrace. about sacrifice. It's about commitment. Demas found the fellowship of the gospel to be far too demanding in avoiding the cost of entire commitment. Commitment demands that you travel light through this world. There are things that you must be willing to give up, such as self-righteousness, such as secret sin and worldliness and self-will. The old song that will take a lot of us old folks back. I was teasing with somebody the other day. I said, yeah, that man was in his 60s, kind of an elderly guy. Took the person a minute to catch on and said, you're not elderly. Well, thank you for that. I didn't totally solicit that, but I'm sure glad you offered it up. It sure came good at the moment. But some of our us, us old folks, Brother James, will remember the old song that I'm going to go ahead and throw him under the bus while I'm at it. But take this whole world, the old song said, but give me Jesus. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I won't turn back. No, I won't turn back. There's another part of commitment tonight that I find very interesting. And I want you to hear this part. Commitment places you in opportunities to be observed. Jesus watched the committed woman. He didn't pay any attention to the hypocrite. You know, somebody needs to think about that. If you're dabbling with your commitment and don't want to be quite as committed as God wants you to be, you need to think about that. Don't think you can handle your life without being committed to Jesus. You can't. But commitment places you in opportunities and environments so that you may be observed by God himself. And that's huge to me. Our commitment is being watched by God even when we do not suspect it. The text states that Jesus sat over against the treasury and he watched what was given. God watches what we give, not just money, but time, talent, etc. God watches what we give. If, if God were to teach a lesson to others on what I gave, if God wanted to inspire somebody to teach a Bible study on what Lynn Murphy gave, how much substance would there be in that Bible study? I read this story, I believe it was from Max Lucado, but it, it's so compelling to me. And, and, and listen, listen to the idea of it. Listen to the substance of it. The story is told of a man who faithfully gave and supported the work of missions for years on end with his money. He gave it without much thought except that he was aware of the need on the fields of the world. But there came a day that his heart would be torn with the feeling of deep sacrifice. Over the years, his son had watched him faithfully give to missions all of his life. In later years, when the son became, began to have a measure of maturity in his life, he knew that there were times that his father gave when he really didn't have anything at all to give. All of this was watched silently by his growing son. One day the young man came to his father and said, Dad, I have a strange, relentless, and unyielding burden for a foreign field. I want to be a missionary. Suddenly the father was filled with a terrible, wrenching feeling. 
This was the experience that painfully shattered his world. For years, he had given his dollars to missions, but nothing else with it. But on the day that he gave his boy, a life went with it this time. Your commitment takes you to a place of observation. Your lack of commitment will take you to a place of observation. Your kids are watching you. And I would far rather my son or my daughter, as heartbreaking as it would be, to say, Dad, I've watched you all these years. I've watched you and Mom give, give, give. Now I feel a call to go to the other side of the world and be a missionary. I'd rather have that happen than for them to walk in and say, I don't care about God and church and all that anymore. You've lived halfway committed all your life, so I'm not going to commit at all. Commitment brings you to a place of observation. So how committed are you and what kind of message are you sending not only to God, but to those around you? All of us have to reach a point in life that we are willing to give ourselves to something that is bigger than we are. To fail in this quest means that we would become slaves or servants to the weak and beggarly elements of this world. So I want to encourage Grace Church tonight, and I applaud you for your commitment. But again, prevention is better than cure. Give, your, give yourself to something that's bigger than life. Give yourself to the call of God. Give yourself to a life that will be challenged. Give yourself to a passion for the lost. Give yourself to an unreachable dream. Give yourself to the pursuit of the upper limits of the kingdom of God. Give your life away. So this lesson tonight in conclusion is far more, is about far more than money. It's, it's about how that you must throw your life away to a cause that is greater than the soft wooing and yet very empty American dream. I read a statistic just a couple of weeks ago that there's some group never heard of them before, but they measure the happiness of every nation. America ranks 19th in the world. There's other nations that are far ahead of us and they ultimately have concluded that we have so much that nothing makes us happy anymore. So while the lives of American young people are being wasted on the inane such as iPods with bigger gigs and that hold thousands of iTunes and whatever kind of other tune and pictures and videos and apps and all that, cell phones that contain amazing cameras and capabilities to do all kind of stuff. Computers that pulse with images and sounds and clothes that urge us to give up our money and our modesty. Clothes that encourage us to give up our money and our modesty just to be included, to be accepted. Playstations and Xboxes that create much laziness and lost times. Voices that cry out for us to give up our sexual purity so that we waste our bodies and emotions before marriage. What the world will never tell you, what the minions of hell who run this world will never let you in on is this, that the only real satisfaction in life comes when you throw yourself away and give all you've got to the call of the cross. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I want to share with you a story that is not mine, obviously. But Sister Murphy and I have both seen it. As a pastor on a missions trip, he had the following, made the following observation, and I'm concluding. He said on a Saturday night during the altar service of this particular missions endeavor he was on, he said, I waited off down the middle of the Romanian gypsies and began to lay my hands on them and pray fervently for them. It was a moment of great emotion for me because my mind took in all that they did not have going for them. Bound by strong cords of poverty, trapped in places with very few resources, in fact, I would later learn that very few of them had running water and electricity. I would also learn that they were willing to walk miles to come to church. As I began to pray with them, I felt almost helpless for their material plight in this world. But no sooner had that thought crossed my mind than the Lord nudged me, he said, with a scripture found in Romans fourteen seventeen: the kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. He said, I don't have enough money or resources to fix their material problems, but the power of the Holy Ghost can bless them far beyond measure and give them hope for a world to come. One of the greatest moments that Sister Murphy and I had when even before we married, most of you know it, uh, our pastor put together a trip for our youth choir to spend a couple of weeks in Mexico. Sister Sheila Landry was on that trip. We were sitting in a little open air cafe one day, and I'll never forget it. I had on suede shoes back then, and several boys walked up, little old bitty boys, five, six years old, and said they, they, they learned this statement in English, this question, can I shine your shoes? I looked at them and just kind of sloughed it off and just shook my head no. Shoe polish would actually ruin them. But while I was sitting there, I watched another tourist finish smoking a cigarette and he thumped it, the cigarette butt, onto the floor. And I watched those same boys go and fight over that cigarette butt, hoping there might be a little nicotine left on the end of it. I remember services where... Brother Rivas, the, the a pastor from Mexico that helped to organize that whole entire trip, would tell our youth choir a day or two after we'd eaten a meal somewhere that those Mexican women spent all they had to go to a grocery store and buy a few groceries to make us food that we really didn't even like. We had eaten it, but we didn't like it, and get back to the room and complain about it and wish we had a McDonald's close by to go get a Big Mac. But I've come to realize some things from that trip and other experiences through the years. It's really not what you possess around you that brings fulfillment and happiness, and God designed it that way. I've noticed for years in pastoring, I've noticed for years and years in pastoring, that the most committed people, those who commit, those who commit, those who commit, are the happiest fulfilled people and those who only do it about halfway and do things because they have to and they're obligated and they're afraid they're going to mess up and all that kind of stuff are oftentimes the most conflicted and miserable people. They're never happy. 
They're never happy. It's because, as I preached a little bit Sunday about letting Jesus enter the house, when you let him in all the way, and your attitude is, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll be whatever you want me to be, that's the happiest people. Those are the happiest people. So I want to encourage Grace Church tonight to continue giving everything. I know some of you struggle with even coming to church on campus because of what's going on in our country with COVID and all of that. And I thank you for coming. I thank you with all my heart for coming. Again, I want to applaud you. And I'd just like to say tonight how much Sister and I, Sister Murphy and I love you and thank you for your commitment. I'm not necessarily watching, but God is. And he's the one that pays attention to what you give. And he blesses you for giving. Stand with me tonight. <clears throat> As we keep spiraling towards the rapture of the church, I want to let everybody know tonight, now is not the time to do less and to be less. It's not time to give up and walk away. It's not time to do none of that. But if there is just a little bit more you can give, your money, your finances, but even more than that, your, your time, your talent, even your heart, if you'll really give your heart to God fully and completely, all that other stuff will come. It, it just comes automatically. So if there's a little more you can do, do it. If there's a little more you can give, give it. And you just set yourself up to be blessed that much more. Thank the Lord. Don't you appreciate the word of the Lord tonight? Let's give him some praise for his word. <clears throat> Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. As you feel comfortable, greet one another. Uh, be respectful and so on, but God bless you. Love you folks very much. We'll see you Sunday. <clears throat>